great worship today. I really appreciated that. It's wonderful singing those old hymns. It reminds me of my mom when I used to stand beside her, and she would just let her rip. And in the old school, they sang like a different way than we sing. You know, like they, they, they sang differently. I don't know what it is, but we don't sing like that anymore. Isn't it weird how things change? Is it falsetto? I don't know. It kind of vibrates and stuff. And we, we'd go like this because we'd be like, you know, we'd be, it, was, it was an amazing time. It was one of my mom's favorite songs. This is my story. This is my song. And my mother lived that. And that was her story. And that was her song. Not just because she sung it, but she truly lived it. And what a model she was to me for my life. Awesome. It is Thanksgiving today. It is uh, a day that even the world, I know the Americans don't, they do some other time, but even the world would say that there is something good about Thanksgiving. There's something good about being thankful. And I encourage you even in the beginning of this, what I'm going to share on today with Paul in his exhortation to the church of Thessalonians. He said, rejoice always. No, I'm in Ephesians, don't worry. But he said to Thessalonians, thank you though. I appreciate that. But he says to the Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, be thankful in all things. This is the will of God for your life. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. I mean, Paul, he's a guy that would, he's a guy you're going to listen to, right? And we are going to go into a passage of scripture that Paul is overjoyed with. That's this sentiment and this spirit of rejoicing and thankfulness. It's almost like he can't contain himself. And it just it just breaks out of him to the praise of glory of God in the midst of his writing. You know, sometimes when you say to someone you should be thankful, then they, if they were honest, they'd say, thankful for what? If you were to be able to articulate to me what Christ has done for you, would you be able to articulate the scripture? What would you say? If I was not a Christian, I'd come to you. What has Jesus done for you? Well, I trust we would all know that he died on the cross for our sins. I trust that we know we're all going to heaven. But Paul takes it much deeper than that. And just as I spoke last week of what it means to be in Christ, the list we are going to go through is yours now. Whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood, whether you're tired, whether you're feeling great, whether you've read your Bible, whether you've prayed, these are all for those who are in Christ. It is a factual position that Paul is exhorting this church to or this region to. That is not something we work up. It's not something we pray that God would give us. This is already ours if we are in Christ. And it's important for us to reconcile that. And you will hear Paul say, just as you received Christ, now walk in it. You receive Christ by Bueller. faith. Now walk in faith. Walk in this. And it all starts with understanding from the word. What does the word say we have in Christ? What is our position? And Paul really fleshes it out and gives us this wonderful preamble to the actual letter of Ephesians. Because later on, he will flesh it out even more, certain points that he makes. But it's this wonderful song, if it, as it were, an appetizer before the main meal. And I just want to just jump into it and just go through it here. But let's just open our hearts to the Lord. We just come before you, Lord. We honor your name. Lord, we ask for revelation. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would not only hear, 
but understand. That we'd not only hear, understand, but do. We pray for courage today. We open our hearts to the word of God. We ask to be changed. Not just challenged, we want to be changed. We ask for the fingers of the potter to come over us and mold us. We yield to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, this is Ephesians chapter 1. I realize in the dark it's a little bit hard. That's why I've got them on the screen for you. Uh, we've got Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. The first thing we have to note there is the, the place in which we are blessed. It says, in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, the heavenly places is a significant phrase used. It's actually used four other times in Ephesians. You'll see it later in this passage. It says that Jesus is raised from the dead and seated in heavenly places. It then goes on to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. It says in Ephesians chapter 3 that the manifold wisdom of God be revealed through the church in heavenly places. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and things in heavenly places. So it's a significant phrase, and each time it's used, there is particular significance in its context. I believe in this particular context, it is something that is being addressed in us and what happened in Adam long ago. The first thing that we lost in Adam is the first thing that is restored. And that is relationship and access to the Father. We were cast out of the garden. We were, we were severed in relationship by sin. But now in Christ we are welcomed, even petitioned by Hebrews chapter 3, to enter the throne room boldly. Who would have thought? Boldly we, meet, we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need. So this is, a, this is a petition for us to enter in, to be, to be, as it were, bold. I mean, I had this weird kind of example or thought, you know, you see on television these, these very uppity restaurants, and you have to know people to get in. And you see someone trying to sneak in, and like, who are you with? Get out. And it's like the idea that I can walk into the most holy place ever in existence, the throne room of God. No man can see God and live, it says. He, no, no flesh will glory in his sight. He, he said to Moses, if you see me, you'll die. And he had to cover him. I can enter into there, and if I get stopped by anyone, I'm in Christ. Just as if I walked into a restaurant, no, I'm with so-and-so. I'm in Christ. We could stop right there. I'm not just with Christ. I'm in Christ. I will restrain myself from unleashing on that alone because I could preach the whole time on that. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, even as he chose us in him, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It was always God's plan that all those would be brought to him would come through the Son. It was always God's plan that Jesus would be the justifier. That it's through Christ alone our sins are forgiven. Even in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam sinned and all the 
the mayhem and the, the, the wreckage and destruction of sin as it was seeping into the world, there is a, there is a clear prophecy of Jesus that would step, stamp upon the head of the serpent. But not only that, Jesus is also the means by which we're sanctified. There are terms you will hear in the scripture, justification. It's like a legal term. You are justified. But sanctification is a cleaning up, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That we wouldn't be just justified, but we'd be cleaned up. That we'd be a spot, a, a, a bride without spot, spot or blemish. That is the desire of the Father that people will be set free, not only from the penalty of sin, but the stain of sin. This is God's plan through Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ in himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So we see the theme again of predestination continued from verse 4 into verse 5. It is through Jesus Christ that all of these things are possible. There was no plan B. It's always been Jesus. Paul then adds to an understanding of our position. Sometimes I wish I could hear the gospel for the first time. I grew up in the church, so I've heard the terminology used and become familiar with it. Just as many of you here, I'm sure, in the same position. We have been adopted. Paul's introducing, adopted into God's family. Now, this is a pretty important verse to get hold of. Not only forgiven. It's one thing to forgive. It's one thing that what he's all done, but to now bring into the family. The Bible says to be co-heirs with Christ. I mean, who would do such a thing? It's, it's, it's interesting because Paul doesn't give us a lot of, as it were, reasons why other than you can see there. It's according to the kind intentions of his will. God is good. God is gracious. It's got nothing to do with us. He didn't pick you out and say, wow, you're really amazing. You're in my family. It's his mercy and his grace. Well, you and I would be like, oh, man, what's that stink? You know, like a skunk. You're like, dude, you stink. It's sin. He reaches in, plucks you out. Think how much he's had to put up with you in your life, even as a Christian. The dirty diaper stage. Isn't it amazing how some kids with stinky diapers, and only the parents, can somebody, it's your kid, you want to deal with that? Like the stench of sin. And yet he is faithful in his commitment to us. To the praise of the glory of his grace. It's like Paul is just overcome with it. Exalting God. You've got to remember Paul. Paul, was a, I talked about it last week, and that's why it's so important to hear it from him. This man murdered Christians. This man thought he was doing the will of God. He was doing absolutely contrary to God's will. And he's saved and forgiven and adopted. If you today don't have a great parent to look up to, if you, if you lost your father, you lost your mother, or you have a heavenly father. Do you know that the, God is so committed to this that it says he sends forth his spirit into your spirit to testify to your spirit that you are a child of God. This is not a small thing because he is not a derelict father. It has to sink in. 
When you see a kid with no shoes, hungry, you blame the kid? No, it's an indictment on the father. Sorry. Where's his father? We have a heavenly father. When you see a child who's completely undisciplined and just wreaking havoc everywhere, you go, where's the father? I understand where's the mother, but you understand in the context. Where's the father? Because your heavenly father disciplines as well. I know you think it's, it's everything, is parties and cakes, but no, he actually disciplines. Why? Because he's your father and he loves you and he's committed to your character. That's just seeping in. I am not an orphan, so why do you act like it? Why do you hoard the manna? Why don't you trust him for tomorrow? Why don't we trust him, our heavenly father? And you say, Nick, I didn't have a good father, so I'm, I'm kind of messed in how I view him. Well, I'm telling you, call out to him to reveal himself to you because it's his spirit that testifies. Lord, tell me more. Show me more. Study the word to be a child of God. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In him we have redemption. Redemption is the releasing effect by payment or ransom. Is to pay a price, the cost. First Peter 1, it's, it really articulates this well and the cost for your redemption. You're taking out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. What did it cost? Was it free? Have you ever seen the passion of the Christ? If you address, sorry, 1 Peter 1, verse 17, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of the lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He bought you if you were in Christ. He paid the highest price. And I heard a guy say it once so well, Paris Reed, he says, Jesus bought you to set you free. He took you out of slavery to see freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Read Philippians, how it says he did not seek to be co co-equal with God, but made himself lower than the angels. says, let this mind be in you as well. That he stepped down and paid the highest price, rescuing us from the dominion of darkness, paying the price. Praise the Lord. You say, oh, you could just release. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Exalt the Lord. I want to remind you that you may not be completely understanding everything I'm saying, but you can still be in it. This is a testimony, a testament of what Christ has done for all those who are in him. This is yours. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his unkind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God has made known to us the mystery, the purpose behind why Christ has come. This was a mystery. It even says that the, the prophets that were prophesying the coming of Jesus longed to look into it. 
Can you imagine prophesying but not having wisdom and understanding of why you're prophesying? But you're prophesying for generations way ahead of you to see the fulfillment of Christ. Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Fullness. The fullness of the Lord. He's going to sum up everything in Christ. I know that we often are very focused on humanity when it comes to what Christ has done. But he will, he will bring everything under his feet. You know when Lucifer, Isaiah 14, looked at God and he says, I, want, I will be like the Most High. And it says, Son of the Morning Star. He will be brought under Jesus' feet. All things will be brought to submission. It's the closing of the age. It's all through one door, Jesus Christ. And it says that creation anxiously cannot wait for that day where the revelations of the sons of God. You see nature, do you understand? It's affected by the sin of man. That is not what it could be. It was not in its intended purpose place right now. I encourage you to get passages of Scripture about Jesus Christ in His incarnate. Revelation chapter 1. I encourage you to meditate and memorize. It will grow in the revelation to your spirit. Your mind still may be, I don't know what you're saying, dude. But your spirit is ignited by who Christ is. Hebrews 1, he's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made a provision for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. We memorize it, meditate on it, because this is what it's talking about. This is our Lord. All things will be brought in subjection. As I said before, the book of Colossians or the letter of Colossians was written at the same time as Ephesians. And that's why there's so many verses that are similar. Read, go, go, meditate in chapter 2 of Colossians when it says who he is. Allow, feed your spirit by faith. Feed your spirit. Memorize it. Get it into yourself. Ezekiel chapter 2, all I know is anyone that seems to meet Jesus in his carnate sense falls as dead men. He's not a broken man on a cross. He's not in a grave. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. And he will bring everything. He is the door. It's like this vacuum just going through this one door. All of creation brought submission to him. You know, the demons believe that God is one, and they tremble because they know what that means. Oh, Lord, that we would have that same revelation and have a bit of trembling of who he is, of who our Lord is. Amen? In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been pressed, predestinated according to his purpose, who, who works all things after the counsel of his own will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. An inheritance. This is often something you'll see, this, 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 this idea of inheritance is actually throughout the Old Testament as well. There's a promise from God to a people. Or there's a promise of God to you of something that is to come. And your hope, I can tell you, once you lose sight of an inheritance, your hope wanes. Why am I putting up with this? Why do I suffer? Oh, because, because there's a hope. 
an inheritance. Peter says it this way. He says, it's an inheritance that is undefiled and will not fade away. The early church, this is what pushed them on because a lot of them were under persecution. And you go, what's the point, Nick? Why don't I just, because have you, have you met Jesus Christ? He is the son of God. And outside of him, there's nothing but the wrath of God. And all of us will die and stand before him one day. You will either be in Adam or in Christ. We did not come to Christ for easy lives. In fact, he promised difficulty. Narrow is the way, few shall find it. Difficult is the path that leads to life. So we come to Christ because of what he has done for us. And apart from him, there's nothing but death. We've come to him for life. And life to the fullest. But it's not as defined by the world defines life. And life to the fullest. It is in Christ that we walk through these things and we have an inheritance which is undefiled and will not fade away in Him. And I've always loved this because I was a really good Calvinist as my Reformed brother there. I, I always quoted this, His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His own will. He did not seek counsel from anyone else as much as he, we, I'm sure he appreciates the prayers and telling them how to save people. He doesn't take notes. Even Isaiah 40 says that, to whom counsel has he sought? And it's God's will. It's about us coming into alignment with God's will, not his will coming into alignment with us. Amen? (laughs) In him, in him, in him, in him, in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. It actually means the owner, in the the old days, the owner seals his property with a signet to mark it as his. If at a later time he comes to claim it and his right, his right is questioned, his seal is sufficient evidence and puts an end to such questioning. Now, we know the role of the Holy Spirit is not just a seal or a signet. There's multiple things going on with the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. But one of the keys here for us to know that that promise of an inheritance that God is coming back is we has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us the Spirit of God. We know by that deposit that he is coming back for us. He is coming again for his people. It ends the questioning. And this is is what Paul is highlighting in this passage. The pledge. The pledge of God. The commitment of God. It is a song to him. Because Paul has been through so much. Think of this. This man has been shipwrecked. I've gone through it beaten, whipped. You're like, dude, what is going on in your life? Where's the blessing of God in your life? You're doing something wrong, Paul. He's gone through it. But what got him through? This gospel got him through. The crown of glory that is waiting for him. He even says to live as Christ, to die as gain. But the only reason I hang out is for you churches. I'd rather go to be with God. It is far better for me to go. Because he knows the riches of his inheritance. I'm just going to land it and close it. If you want to, Lewis Lewis. I just want to summarize. Obviously, it's more than this. We understand that. 
This list is, if you're in Christ right now, this is you, yours. Just as much as if you were in the cinema, you're in the cinema. You partake of all that's in the cinema. If you are in Christ, this is yours. Now walk in it. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every. You don't have to work. Oh, no, Nick, you've done a little better this week. Here's another spiritual blessing. How many you got, Jeb? Oh, he's got 35. I've only got 25. Everything. If he gave his own son first, will he not freely give us all things in Christ? We are justified in Christ. You ever feel guilty? Who's going to go before God feeling guilty? I suck. You're too aware of yourself. You need to be aware of Christ. Yes, you do suck. So do I. But Christ doesn't. And I'm in him and I'm defined by him. Tell me something you don't know. Like, you know, like if you get this awareness of Christ, Paul talks about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not I, but Christ. Sanctified. You know how you keep messing up with certain sins? God wants to clean you up from that and free you from it. But it's the same power that justified you. It is through Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is he that worketh in you. It is, you, are, you are co-laboring, as it were, within this. You're making choices in your life. But God wants you to be free. What for? For freedom. He loves you. Adopted as children. I mean, where? Yeah. Not only adopted, but not second-class citizen even to Jesus Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. I've never been adopted, but I know the, the, the families that do the best, the children literally are treated as children. You are literally treated as children of God. Rescued. Maybe you've slid back into some weirdness of sin and the sin enslaves. Romans 6, don't offer your bodies, but we could still do that. He wants to rescue you afresh from these things, from these things that ensnare. It's one thing to say, I have this. It's a whole other thing to walk in it. The glory of God is seen when we walk in these things. Your neighbors, the world we live in, your Twitter account followers or Instagram, sorry, I don't have that stuff, but whatever, however cool way you'd say it, they, they would see Christ. They would see, this man's born again. Because walking in what Christ has done for us, in what we have already, none of this is earned. It's all in Christ. An inheritance, the Holy Spirit. What has he left out? What has he left out? He has left out nothing for us to walk in life in God. So I'm just going to ask us to stand. We're going to worship the Lord in thanksgiving. We're not going to ask the Lord for these things. We're going to thank Him for them. And if you don't know, if you're not hearing the Holy Spirit, ask Him to speak to you. Turn down the noise. It's amazing my daughter will try and talk to me while she's listening to music. I'm saying, sweetie, take the earphones off so I can talk to you and answer the question you asked me. Take the earphones off. Lord, we come before you and we exalt your name. We delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. We boast in the gospel. We are not ashamed for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. We delight and boast in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the finished work. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your burial and resurrection. We declare that God is for us. We declare over our lives that we are born again of incorruptible seed. We declare that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are children of God. By faith, we declare this. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship.